Hey, I'm John. And I'm Becky. And this is the We Are For Good podcast. Nonprofits are faced with more challenges to accomplish their missions and the growing pressure to do more, raise more, and be more for the causes that improve our world. We're here to learn with you from some of the best in the industry, bringing the most innovative ideas, inspirational stories, all to create an impact uprising. So welcome to the good community. We're nonprofit professionals, philanthropists, world changers, and rabid fans who are striving to bring a little more goodness into the world. So let's get started. Hey, hey. Welcome. What you doing? It's just us. Yep. Our little family of three. So if you're new to the podcast, this is our fourth break to say we're talking through your core beliefs. Mm-hmm. Value these, number four. Yeah, it's value number four. So it's four. It's our fourth thing that we believe for our business, but it is truths that we have found in fundraising and in running a really successful nonprofits and building movements. And these are true things that you can really implement. And we think they just kind of change everything, honestly. They do change everything. And I think the beauty in having these values is you sort of have these North Stars that are keeping you on point, keeping you focused in the right direction. And I love the one today. Um, It's not just about giving. It's about belief. So, so double click on it, John. Yeah. I mean, we want to make you believers in this philosophy because it really takes down the idea of building transactional donors in that sense. And so if you, if that's a new term to you, you know, it'd be a donor that's just giving and really not connected to the cause and doesn't really even understand what their money is doing. And we're not going to dive deeply into the stewardship acknowledgement piece. I mean, that is another big cog of our business, but today it's about how do you set up your programs, your giving, your philanthropy so that it breeds belief? Because we believe that we believe <laughs> that belief and building believers is going to completely revolutionize your ability to start movements and to do really huge things through your nonprofit or cause. So if our ethos is rooted in creatively running towards goodness, this value tells us that at the end of the day, putting programs in place that ensure our donors can believe in the power of philanthropy is at the end of the day, it's just going to foster this deeper wonderlust to discover how our work can move into life altering spaces. So we're really talking about shifting the lens of the conversation. I love that you talk about people who are giving modest amounts. I mean, these are your donors. I know you can picture them who are giving smaller gifts. It's the church collection plate, you know, they're putting something in and typically we just kind of tamp them down a little bit because uh, they're not high maintenance, you know, they don't <laughs> demand a lot do and yeah. it would be easy to forget them. But we're saying if you can make them believers, it can change everything about the way they engage with your mission. Yeah. And the idea, the notion of what we're saying to become believers is to become believers that their philanthropy can do huge, ridiculously awesome things through your organization. And on the surface, that seems like that should be somewhat easy to do. But we know from living and working and breathing inside of organizations, it's hard sometimes to truly translate a gift of $20 on the front end to tangible impact that gets somebody excited enough to call them a believer. Yes. And it's not, we're not telling you follow this $20 and tell us exactly (laughs) where every cent (laughs) is going. Um, because then you'll just resent us because your whole day (laughs) is running around trying to keep track of cents, but it's really about how do we kind of lift the conversation up at a higher level and talk about what these collective gifts can mean in in our space and how they are translated. So John, we've got 
the story of how this completely got turned on its head and made us believers in our own mission. Yeah. Tell them about our friend. Our friend Delise. Okay. And so oh, she, Delise. We love yep. Delise. she's awesome. But she wasn't always, she didn't always love what Becky and John were vending. She was drinking <laughs> none of our Kool-Aid. At none the of the Kool-Aid. And so I know we've shared employee giving stories a lot, but I'll, you know, it speaks to any kind of group of people that you're trying to rally around a cause. We were looking at our employee giving across our organization at less than 3% at the time. Mm-hmm. So if you think about that across 10,000 people, that's 300 donors in the entire state. I mean, we're talking about for the vast majority, people didn't even know you could make a gift to our organization at the time. And so the first campaign rolled around, and we didn't even know Delise at the time, and she later told us the story. But when she saw the cam- campaign come out and we were asking um, our employees to consider making a gift, we, we broke it down and we said, you know, here's the different passion areas you can give to. And we wanted to share very specifically the type of projects we were going to fund when we were getting started. We didn't want to leave a lot of room for questioning intent or anything like that. So we were really transparent and said, these are the projects that are going to happen with your support. And so Delise saw that and she was so like turned off. She told us like she she deleted the emails. She was so (laughs) mad. (laughs) She got back at us by deleting our email. (laughs) Yes, which we were not progressive enough at that point to even know she was deleting our emails, right? (laughs) So, but what's funny is the campaign went on for a few weeks and by the end of it, she was beaten down enough to say, you know what, I'm just going to give because she was bought in as an employee that she wanted to participate, but she still was annoyed about the campaign, but she made a gift. I think it was like five bucks a pay period or something like that. So let's flash forward. She worked at the registration desk at a hospital. And so she was very near the front doors and the sliding doors where there's, you know, um, gurneys coming through and patients being shuffled through. Well, let me tell you, the gift that she made funded a transport isolate, which I wouldn't know what that word meant if I didn't work at a hospital. But it was a it was this basically a bed that would transport a newborn baby that was in a critical very condition. fragile, very newborn fragile baby. Yeah. And so that was actually the project that she funded. Well, she's sitting at work one day and sure enough, those double doors open up and in comes this gurney that's this transport isolate and it has our campaign sticker on the side. If you listen to our last belief, Becky saw that same sticker on the ultrasound machine when she was you know, having her ultrasound. If you're not putting stickers that show philanthropy and what it's purchased in your space of the world, you're missing out. There's, There's a, a little hack, hack for you. Cheap hack. So that little sticker, she saw it. With the baby inside it. With the baby inside it. And she describes it as this. That is the moment that everything changed for her. She believed in the campaign. She believed that her philanthropy actually did that. She believed that with pride that I made that possible. You know, I'm getting to play a part in this this story that's unfolding right in front of me. And what happened after that is Delise sought us out. And she not only wanted to continue giving and expand her giving, but she wanted to become the front line of asking people to, to join the campaign. So I still called her, which this is a bad acronym now, but Michael Jackson, because everybody loved her and knew her in the hospital. So if I showed up with Delise in the hospital, I was like, superstar famous because everybody loved Elise. We'll she call was her Mother Teresa. I yeah. love that. That's Great. a much better term. So Mother Teresa, I would walk around with her in the hospitals at night. She would meet us at med- midnight one time to do night rounding. And it's like the love that people had for Delise, having her as a believer totally transformed the campaign and our ability to get in front of and break down the walls. And it happened because of belief. It wasn't because of a transactional gift. It was because she actually believed we connected the dots to her gift, to making this very meaningful impact. And that is just a one just tangible one. example 
of the power of giving that happens within the walls of your organization. And so once you can find a way to translate that, your philanthropist, I'm going to call them philanthropists, yeah. even if they give a dollar, they mm. are a part of our missions. That is how they become a champion of philanthropy. Yeah. And I just, we talked about this a little bit earlier, like any nonprofit can have donors, but we want you to galvanize believers. Yep. We're all going to have donors. They're all going to keep our doors open, but we want it to be more about what they can see what they can lean into that's having an impact that is not only helping their community, but it's honestly giving something and fulfilling something with inside them. And that yeah. just feels good. It does feel good. And it can be practically done by just putting a face, you know, we talk about humanizing or it's putting a specificity on something that's typically ambiguous, you know? Mm -hmm. And I know we did that a lot through events as well. And so I don't know if you want to share that story. Yeah, of how I, we I did think it. that anybody, especially right now in COVID, you know, we're all trying to pivot and figure out what is the new normal on events. And I think in my earlier days when I did not know about um, transformational philanthropy, and I would really look at events as sort of this transactional means to an end. We have to have this gala or this golf tournament or this whatever dance off because we have to reach this metric. And when you can take a step back from your events and look at them as this very easy um, entry point into the narrative of your nonprofit and that it's step one of bringing someone in through a series of what could be thousands of steps. I really think it begins to change how you look at events. So this, the story that I wanted to share was we um, pivoted our gala uh, several years ago and we decided that, you know, it was kind of the same gala every year. You had the same players up on stage. Same chicken every Sa year. <laughs> Your cordon bleu, a little cordon bleu. Let's VIP all admit salad. it. Mm -hmm. In the nonprofit world, we are so sick of cordon bleu. Um, and so it's it was just kind of the same. It was rote and it was routine, and the same people were coming, and it, there was just no value in it other than, as a hospital administrator, you're kind of checking the box, and as a board member, you're kind of doing it. And we just said, no, we have got to do a better job about talking about the miracles that are happen happening within our mission. And so we started wrapping each of our galas around a particular area, a service line of the hospital. And it wasn't like the cardiology uh, or vascular medicine area. We would just call it the heart campaign mm -hmm. or the cancer campaign. And one year we were having the pediatric campaign. Mm -hmm. And the goal was really just about how do we celebrate children who are clearly going to be so petrified and traumatized to be in a hospital. And we took that and looked at our pediatric team and said, what would transform this experience for children? And they said, if you had a huge infusion of, of cash or resources to this area, and they said, we would love to bring on something called child life into our hospital. If you're not familiar with child life, it is these amazing people that come into the hospital and they basically play. I'm using my air quotes right now <laughs> with kids and they find a way to make the hospital experience less scary and more fun for the kids. I mean, it's things like if kids have to drink, you know, whatever the, the concentrate is so they can go in and have an ultrasound, they'll play Uno, you know, and they'll take that many drinks. Do not try this at home adults um, with <laughs> alcoholic beverages. They bring in therapy dogs, they bring in puppets to help. And, and so we decided we were going to use 
our gala to not only um, put some added programs and resources around pediatrics, we were going to launch this. And that became the story. And our and it, we told just an incredible story about how kids had interfaced. And we had them on stage. And we had our pediatricians and our neonatologists up there. And at the, at the end of the night, we had a great night, successful event, but it's not over. And that is a common misconception about events is our work is just beginning when we start to pull the tablecloths off. Because it'd be easy to hang your hat. I think we passed 850000 that year. Just to yeah. hang your hat and say, hey, that was a huge We did night. a great year. We had the had biggest gala ever. Yep. No, that is where we begun to d- dig in. Yeah. And they ended up hiring just an incredible person to spearhead that. Ashley, a little shout out for you. And we saw incredible gains it it ended up transforming the the culture of having children at our hospital by virtue of just putting it in one department and what a gift that was to us as uh, people within the foundation to go back to those 600 guests that we had and say not only did you put this incredible program into our hospital that is changing Um, the way that we come into a space with children and make things less fearful, but it has added and we just kept growing the program. And so many people were transformed by that. They were buying comfort carts. They were buying puppets. They wanted to add to the art card and all of these things. And all of a sudden we had all these donors who had come as a result of sitting at the table of local oil company or, you know, CPA firm who just love kids and loved hearing these positive stories of how kids were impacted. And again, they became believers. We didn't want them to simply be our gala guest and eat our chicken cordon bleu. <laughs> we wanted them to come and love the mission and what an easy way to do that. Yeah. And it's like, we still feel the effects of that event that, that made believers as, as those impact stories rolled out. Those are the people that are still investing in the children's program and taking it to the next level today. So it's like that is just the heart of this idea. And, you know, I read a study a couple of years ago that talked about boomers were making a lot of test gifts to see what would happen. I love this, the scientific. Yeah. I, I really am so interested in this. It's like, think about it like secret shoppers. I mean, who is making a small gift today that holds the power to make an incredible legacy gift? And this kind of goes back to the other values we've talked about of everyone matters. But how are you building the programs and the stewardship and all the practices in your organization to convert that person into a believer that their gift really did translate because those are the people that are going to come back and invest uh, long-term with your organization. Yeah. And if you're playing the long game side note, that was value number two, then you're equalizing the treatment and attention of those modest givers to ensure that they're, that you're in fostering those who can be passionate believers about your mission um, because they felt their impact immediately. We didn't wait for them to get up to the thousand dollar threshold and join our donor giving society before we said, you're important enough. I need to circle back. And I think John, that there are easy ways to do that. We're not talking about emailing everyone individually. We're not talking about calling them. There is a, there are just methods and multi-channel ways that you can get this message out and just let it be a part of the narrative of your nonprofit. It doesn't have to be completely targeted to me as a donor. It's something the entire community can celebrate and then we can all get on board. Absolutely. And don't think in one channel either to think the ultimate uh, destination is a major gift because people like Delise and people that were in the audience with the gala and being part of that transformation, 
they may not write a seven-figure gift to the organization, but they can be conduits for massive movements and change and break down walls that are going to open up so much more opportunity for your organization, for your cause, whatever you're trying to champion. Yeah. So. And community that what you've just said, John is so smart because community is everything and we need all levels of humans, good humans in our community. We need yeah. volunteers. We need big donors. We need legacy gifts. We need people that will just show up with gift cards to feed our essential workers on the front line of COVID. It's like community looks different everywhere you go, but every single way that you can tap in helps move the mission forward. Yep. So there's your call today. There's your call. And really, I think even the final challenge would be how do you look at your organization right now and how do you move toward belief? How do you operationalize, you know, this process in your culture, in your systems? How does everybody get on board? Because this is going to be a team hustle and not one person can do it. It's not on your stewardship person to do it. It's not on, you know, annual giving because these are our smaller donors. It's going to take a village to come together to bring in believers. It's not just about giving. It's about belief. And drinking that Kool-Aid. Delises too. Go find your Delises. Thanks so much for tuning in. We hope this conversation has you feeling inspired to remember it's not just about giving, it's about belief. Did you know every week we share our best roundup of content, freebies, and notes heard on each episode? Head over to weareforgood.com slash hello to join our mailing list, and you'll hear from us weekly with resources and tips to help you do more for your mission. If you loved what you heard today, would you stop what you're doing and hit subscribe? It really does help more people find us and join our good community. Thanks, friends. I'm Julie Comfer, our producer, and our theme song is Sunray by Remy Boersboom. Go rock this week, do-gooders. Rabbit fans have always powered the We Are For Good podcast, but now Rabbit fans can get even more goodness and access by joining Good Friends. It's our listener support community for the We Are For Good podcast. Good Friends comes with perks, exclusive episodes with John and I, including The Good Brief, our new monthly cliff notes of the greatest takeaways and lessons learned from that month, and exclusive AMA episodes where we answer your burning questions and tap our community of experts. Join now or learn more at weareforgood.com backslash friends. We can't wait to see you inside. That's weareforgood.com slash friends.